us down the rabbit hole. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. As we explore the odd and esoteric. If my answers frighten you, then you should cease asking scary questions. This is the AU Radio Underground Files. show that gives you all the paranoia and hair loss of drugs without the cool edge factor that doing drugs brings. These are the Underground Files. He once sent me a code and told me it was a matter of national security and it very well may change the course of history. He then handed me a calculator that spelled that he spelled boobs on. It's Corey. It, to be fair, it was boobies. That <laughs> and it was an older code, but it checks out. An infinitely more complicated code. She's really excited to be in the Roaring Twenties. All the fun aspects without any of the bad ones. All the fun zoot suit cigarette holders and jazz without all of the atrocities towards women, racism, and a high input. Oh. Well, anyway, it's Joy. Hey, beads. Glitter <laughs> and uh, champagne. Yeah. yeah. Campagne. <laughs> <laughs> This man went on a road trip with his family and it was 19 hours of cats of the world, cat noises from every continent. They lost some good men that day. It's Travis. I, uh, yeah, I backed it with uh, the sounds of broken glass and babies. Oh, <laughs> Were those two Bro- separate Broken tracks? babies? Broken, Were those broken two separate, babies in glass. Yeah. Were those two separate <laughs> tapes or was it one? I don't want to know. Uh, hey, he doesn't need to explain his RT Warren. <laughs> My name's Katie from the podcast and this is Case File 2.0. To something. The Rip Roaring Twenties. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody. Happy New Year. How was your guys' New Year? It was good. I had a really good time. Uh, I went to a uh, 1920s flapper party <gasps> and had a blast. You have so, you've done some research. How was the cocaine? Uh, yeah. Sadly lacking. Sadly <laughs> lacking. Like the coke, the, like I ordered a rum and coke. There was zero cocaine in my coke. It that, was terrible. <sighs> yeah, this is false advertising. This, this party is trash. This is inauthentic. We should definitely bring back snuff boxes because I appreciate the pretty aesthetic that they have, but I don't have anything to snort. That's yeah, that's true. It just ends- put pixie, pixie sticks in it. Ooh, yeah. That burns the back of your eyes really bad. Yeah, it's not yeah. fun. I'm diabetic too. I'm pretty sure that just <laughs> <laughs> just a straight shot. Nope. We- mean, what happened? He snorted a bunch of pixie sticks and OD dropped dead. <laughs> Immediately. Yeah, so we are officially in the 20s again. And uh, thus we will be speaking about the special crimes and true crime and spookiness and odd and esotericness <laughs> of the 1920s. So as the entire world looks forward to the new decade, we look back a hundred years <laughs> to go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I wanted to start with the only cool thing about this holiday, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Yeah. It's the only cool aspect. So at 10.30 a.m. on Thursday, February 14th, 1929, seven men were murdered at the garage at 2122 North Clark Street in Chicago, Illinois. Al Scarface Capone was looking to take out the Northside gang run by Irish mobster George Bugs uh, Moran. Bugs, by the way, looked like a human equivalent of Porky Pig and served pre three prison sentences before he was 21. Dude, he was dedicated. Yeah, like, right, right. What do you do? First off, to earn the name Bugs. Yeah, hey, Bugs. Hey, like that is just frightening to me. But Chicago in the twenties was a, a lawless nightmare town. Oh, it was the Wild West. <laughs> Absolutely. And but the one thing that we're going to get into a little bit is this is 
this was the event that was the end of an era as far as the Chicago mobster of the 20s. After yeah. this, it it was just, you know, it was like the, um, I forget what event, I think it was the death of some famous pirate that ended the age of like privateers and stuff. But uh, both of these gangs were titans in bootlegging, prostitution, and gun running, as we know. In the middle of some, no doubt, nefarious dealings, uh, four men walked into the building. Two of them were dressed like police officers. The other two were in plain clothes. The North Side gang, believing this to be a routine raid, lined up against the wall to which the forest rangers opened fire, unloading over 700 rounds into their backs. And they came prepared. Oh, yeah. No, they were like, they, uh, those Tommy guns? Forget Damn. It. Which, again... I don't think we should bring back a lot of the aspects of the 20s, but the Tommy guns were really cool. Dude, Anyways. they weigh like 800 pounds. They're so They're cool. They're so looking. heavy. Yeah. You get upper body strength while you do this. Right? Because aren't it's they loaded this... with like 45 calibers? Yeah, yeah. dude. <laughs> That's why this generation is a bunch of pansies, but whatever. Uh. When <laughs> So when the real cops showed up, Frank Gusenberg, a gang of... Yes. <laughs> yeah. A uh, gang enforcer uh, was still alive. He was taken to the hospital where doctors stabilized him for a short time and police tried to question him. He had sustained 14 bullet wounds. The police asked him who did it and he replied, no one shot me and he died three hours later. Yeah, because you didn't dime people out, even even opposing yeah. gangs. No. <laughs> because you can either... No one shot me. Where did the holes come from? You have 14 bullets in you right now, sir. The water in my shower is really hot. <laughs> <laughs> Meteors right there. But it was such a... That mentality doesn't really exist that much anymore, especially after... I understand it's a lot later, but especially after the Gotti trials, when it came to, like, mob stuff like that, the one... Yeah, loyalty really fell apart. Yeah, the people that you hear about not ratting people out, you don't hear about those people anymore because they're, because they're that far underground. What do we know about criminals? If you hear about them, they weren't that good at it. Yeah, dude. Takashi965. I hate that guy. That whatever. guy has a very punchable face. <laughs> well, and it, it was, it was, there was a weird dichotomy in the 20s with criminals because um, some of them uh, became so famous that they, they were celebrities. Yeah, they had merch. Yeah. So um, it was, it was a really fine line of, of, being quiet enough about your underhanded mm -hmm. dealings while building your reputation. Yeah. Um, well, I, and and most of it was just buying police, to be completely honest. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so America specifically has always had an obsession with fame. And fame and notoriety before the days of film and pop culture, the zeitgeist revolved around outlaws absolutely and that's you know that's why we know billy the kid that's why we know jesse james that's why we know al capone is because those guys became part of of the common knowledge yeah they were the modern day robin hoods yeah exactly even, even though, though most, they were yeah, yeah most of them were, never gave anything to the poor yeah in fact stole yeah. from the poor as just as much as they stole from the rich yeah but but they yeah. were sticking it to the man so that made them exactly cool. so uh one thing but i mean i didn't want to talk about specifically them this episode because i want to do an entire episode on them if not a series but uh the story of bonnie and clyde was everywhere and still to this day 
is everywhere. They're a household name because they're portrayed as this wonderfully glamorous couple that are just like over one set of pictures that are very well, that one are set of pictures. Yeah, where it's very like two against the world type situation. It's extremely romanticized. Where if you actually read the story of Bonnie and Clyde, it's horrifying. Yeah, they were not great people. No, they were and horrible they were, people, they, and they met a horrible end. Yeah, and they weren't even the most famous uh, bank robbers of their time. Yeah. No. Uh, just for some reason, they became uh, more popular, probably because they were so photogenic They were um, than several other yeah. uh, couple yeah. robbers of the same era. Well, in that same vein, a lot of these people, they were fueling other industries. They were fueling the press industry. They were fueling so much other stuff, not to mention being in bed with a bunch of different industries via corruption and stuff like that, as far as like mobs or the mob is concerned. But it kind of like was it, it kind of helped build industry in the US at the time, especially yeah. in the 20s. The other, but as I said, the St. Valentine's Day massacre, which is really funny because everybody and their mom knows who did this, <laughs> but nobody was ever officially tried and like, yeah, because nobody would speak out about it. Exactly. About it. Everybody knows that Al Capone orchestrated this and it was all but admitted essentially. And what did that guy get in trouble for? Tax evasion. Yeah, it was the only thing that they could they could find enough evidence on to make stick. Yeah, but even then, they did him dirty too. They did Al Capone dirty because they were like, okay, we're going to give you a plea deal and stuff like that. And Al Capone was like, cool, nobody can touch me. And then they get to the trial to give him his sentence. And they're like, ah, just kidding. We're putting you in jail forever. Yeah. Because you admitted what you did, which is wrong, but whatever. But this, <laughs> but this was the, this was kind of a nail in the coffin because this created such a public outcry because this was one of the biggest just butcher fests that Chicago had ever seen. Yeah. And one thing that you have to realize about the 20s um, is that uh, it it swings really wildly from one direction to the other um, because we're we're looking at it's the um, it's the end of World War Two, which which is in 1918. World War One. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and um, they they had. Like 60 million people um, fought or or were otherwise attached to that war. I think the number is actually higher than that, but that's like the low end of people yeah. that were mobilized for the war. And um, the low estimate of deaths is 9 million combatants and 7 million citizens. Yeah. Oh, um, it is not the, um, the war with the highest casualties, uh, but at the time that level of, of death had, had never, never been, been seen. Yeah. And yeah, then the streets were empty. Uh, overlapping with that at in 1918 for about, I think it was about six months was the Spanish uh, flu uh, pandemic, yeah. which was, which is still to this day, uh, I think the deadliest pandemic uh, worldwide. So they interesting, had, interesting side note to go along with that. It's 2020. Yeah. Both 1820 and 1920 were marked by giant plagues. Yep. Finally, <laughs> yeah. about so, time. But but the the um the the pandemic, like fifty million people worldwide contracted this disease. Mm -hmm. Fifty million, wow. and um, and it it's I think one of the only diseases that um uh, was contracted in some some really remote Pacific islands and Antarctica. Wow. So it was like it was seen as this creeping death that um even like the the 
most remote areas of the world couldn't save you from. Right. Which had never been seen before. And um, 50 million people, low estimate, died, which is 3% of the world's population. That's so scary. Wow. Top, top estimate was 100 million, which was 5% of the world's population at the time. Which is, that's an insane number. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the bubonic and black plagues didn't hit those numbers. Right. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So the, the other interesting... They didn't spread as far, so world population-wise, they weren't quite as impactful. Yeah. Coming out of coming out of World War One, um was was an interesting time. Yeah. Both here and Europe. Um, because you had the rise of prosperity uh in in the rebuilding of of the countries. And so Germany, we're coming into the Wingmar mm-hmm. era, which was the twenties on absinthe. Yeah. And that's whew, man those guys were having fun. It looks like a good time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, and then on this side, you know, you have the, the rise of, of the, um, F Scott Fitzgerald era. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, the Smart great Gatsby douche. era. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but again, prosperity was beginning to, to come up. It comes crashing down really hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like it's on the upswing in the in the beginning of the twenties, yeah. and that from I mean legally and illegally from from bootlegging to I mean all the way to just regular industry was was booming in this it, very fragile time. Yeah, and. But we have some leftover things that make that I find extremely interesting, which was the fascination with spiritualists. Right. Mm-hmm. Was absolutely prominent. Which we did touch on in our Faith Healer and Psychic episode. Yeah. We yeah. About Harry Houdini. And it and it I mean, realistically, this was the opportune time for that to happen because um not only was everyone suddenly just willing to take big risks because there could be a war or some plague that just wipes you out tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a really, uh, you know, we feast and party for tomorrow. We exactly. Die. Yeah. 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 It was, it was two different directions. It was either you took huge risks and reaped huge rewards or you died or, um, you know, you just partied until something happened because yeah. waiting around for it to happen was terrifying. It was a very sex, drugs and rock and roll type Exactly. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I don't think any other era has really, captured that same feel Mm -hmm. um and because women had such a had such a prominent role in the wartime effort they were given a whole heck of a lot of freedoms because you couldn't vote at this at this point like uh you were still theoretically basically almost property Mm -hmm. um but because of everything happening people just kind of looked the other way so They're you like, could get away with showing an ankle, which you could not have done earlier. You're still not people, but we need you to work. So fine, I guess you can have no. a bank account. They're like, whatever, man. I'm going to cut my hair and dance to jazz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that actually brings me to a story I wanted to share. Um, and this comes from uh, legendsofamerica.com. Uh, the story was written by Marlon Heimer. Um, but this is the Chicago flapper ghost. Oh, nice. Of the Roaring Twenties. Yeah. Brassy tunes and the din of clanking glasses fill the air of the steamy 1920s Chicago, Illinois ballroom. Faces streak in and out of view as a sea of bodies washed over the with the Charleston. 
the black bottom, and the shimmy. Amid them, a rosy-cheeked complexion of a young 20-something flapper girl is glimpsed as she strides into the night past bristling guards and shoving a daffer man out of the front door. Her beauty leaves an impression in the dimness of the street lamps. Smooth features, bobbed brunette hair, and an extravagant flapper dress are keen attributes to her as she rounds the corner. She vanishes into obscurity, giving one backwards glance before hitching a ride down De Plains Avenue in a clamoring automobile. This is the imagery that surrounds the legendary flapper ghost of Chicago, <gasps> which leads us to believe in our most fantastical imaginations. Apparently, this woman disappeared out of the Jewish Harlem area area of Chicago in the 1800s. Okay. And she, to this day, can be seen hitchhiking down De Plains Avenue, asking men for rides, getting in their cars, and as they pull up to the, pull past the cemetery, she stops them and tells them that she lives in the groundskeeper's house and then gets out of the car and vanishes into the cemetery. <gasps> So whenever we, if you guys remember correctly from our sexy ghosts episode, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we talked about the different categories of ghosts and she sounds very much like an echo. Yeah. Yeah. Of just a, yeah. An entity a that, that, loop, yeah. that isn't aware that she's dead and is just kind of going through the motions of. Yeah. I, I think, I think that particular story, uh, one of the suspected idea or, uh, ideas about her death was that she was one of the ones who fell off the balcony, right? Yeah. Yeah. At one of the clubs. C'est tragique. It, okay. Can one of my favorite things about any ghost story or any moida, which we'll get in, into later is just the romanticism of everything, because that's how every story was told in the 1920s. Cause there's just such an aesthetic to it. Yeah. Yeah. Every ghost is just like leaving young, a party beautiful in a beautiful yeah. dress or there's a young man in this zoot suit and a bowler hat who has a bullet through his head, just walking through a graveyard. It's just, yeah. it's so like, it's, it's so tragic, but pretty. It's yeah. just, it's just well-dressed corpses in an awesome soundtrack. It's yeah. just art deco. It's great. I love it. So speaking of a myrtle with an aesthetic, we are going to talk about Mrs. Alice Arsenault, a.k.a. the Lady in the Ashes. So it is a murder most foul that gripped the headlines at the time. Miss Alice Arsenault, owner of the lodging house on Columbus Avenue in Boston, was last seen alive on December 25th, 1919. On May 12th, 1920, her body was discovered under a pile of ashes in the basement of her house. Paul Pappas, a resident of the lodging house, supposedly had an argument with Mrs. Arsenal on the evening of her disappearance. Pappas quickly invented a story that Mrs. Arsenal had left her husband and was hiding out in Springfield, Massachusetts. Pappas then forged some legal documents and sold her home. Oh, and wow. I have no idea how he pulled this off. He also sold her home for $800, ladies and gentlemen. This was the 20s. Yeah. Uh! <laughs> that was probably a nice house. Yeah, yeah. it's probably beautiful. It was a lodging house. It was gorgeous. Yeah. 800 bucks, man. That's that's a chunk of change. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Papa's eventually fled the state and was captured in September 1921 in Montreal, Canada. 
in June, tw- the June 22nd, 1922, Boston Globe describes the tragic murder, quote, Papus was apprehended in Montreal and was extradited to this country. The discovery of the body came about by a change of ownership of the property. The yeah, dead ma- woman- yeah, maybe take the body out before you sell the house. Yeah, just a yeah. thought. Like, yeah. no, nah, yeah. it's character, hauntings and all of that. Mm-hmm. Call, um, what's her face? The one who put ectoplasm jelly all over herself. Uh, uh, the one that Harry Houdini was like, you're oh, a charlatan. Lenora Piper. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The, that na- the naked medium. Yes. Yeah. She's she's interesting. The naked medium. That's a cosplay. The dead New wo- band name called it. <laughs> <laughs> the dead woman whose body bore stab wounds had conducted a lodging house on the premises. She was last seen alive on Christmas Day, 1919. There was a large heap of ashes in the cellar at the point almost under the sidewalk. It had accumulated all winter. In May 1920, the new owner sent for Ashman to clean out the accumulation and they discovered the body. They The arrest of Pappas occurred sometime afterward. The murder became known as the Lady in the Ashes case, which is one of the most like romantic, not in the sense of like couples romantic, but just like, again, an aesthetic of <gasps> the Lady in the Ashes. How tragic. So I kind of hope that this is how I die is, oh, I have a mysterious death of some random stranger and then I just grip headlines for a couple months. That's how I want to go. You're a weird guy, dude. I'm a weird guy. (laughs) So, you know, uh, so the there there is a lot around this time period. It's just funny what takes. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting to me what takes. And so, like, going back to Houdini and spiritualism, the occult saw a massive resurgence in the 20s. Oh, yeah. And and occultism, spiritualism, all that kind of stuff. And so you get these, these mediums that just prey on gullibility. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and these guys that just... And, and Houdini in particular was one who bought into it initially because he wanted to contact his mom. Yeah. And he wanted it very desperately. And then when he realized that none of these people could do that, he set about destroying them all. Yeah. So I wasn't actually a fan of Houdini until my early 20s because I didn't know that story. And I identify with him so much because that is a very similar storyline to how I grew up because I was around a lot of very spiritual people that conducted rituals and things like that. So I was like, oh, cool. I want to talk to somebody that can speak with the dead because I have some loved ones that I would like to speak to. And then I got into my early 20s and I started doing a lot of research on these people and I realized the charlatans that they are Mm -hmm. and that they must be stopped and all but eradicated. Don't my opinions are my own. Don't kill faith. But but so that's like that's how this rolls in is Houdini just was vicious about it. Yeah, he he showed no mercy because he hated it. And he hated it because he desperately wanted it to be real. Yeah. And that's, and that's such the, again, it is, we talk about the roaring twenties, but we've used the word tragic about 30 times already. And it really kind of is a thing that describes that era is this era of hope and rebuilding and yearning and just being slapped down 
yeah. over and over and, and being over. exploited in every aspect that anybody can it get It truly is the most American decade. So, <laughs> Papa, so in that note, I just wanted to put one more thing because, oh, no, it's, yeah, go back because it was, because again, we're talking about everything was romanticized and turned in and turned into something that it wasn't. So Pappas was found guilty of murder in the first degree of June 15th, 1922. He was executed in the electric chair in late June or early July 1923 for, for the infamous murder. As a footnote, in those days, debris and dirt from sidewalks more easily permeated the basement windows, doors, and grates of inner city buildings. The debris would become wet, then dry, then continually compress. It resembled something between dirty paper, paper mache and compost. Such debris was referred to as ashes from with metal garbage containers known as ash cans back then. So she wasn't even covered in like this soft, silty, like veil of ash over her. She was literally just covered in garbage. Yeah. Oh, man. Right? And he just like put a small, like just a shallow grave of garbage all over you. Dude, but the woman in the ashes sounds lady so... Lady in the ashes. Sounds so much better than the trash can lady. Yeah. Because lady <laughs> in the ashes sound, is so much more... It'll sell way more papers. So exactly. everybody's like, we can't call her the garbage lady. Yeah, Nobody cares she was, about the garbage She lady was guy. covered in paper mache soot. Yeah. <laughs> That's not kitschy. <laughs> no. We got any other stories from the 1920s? Mm -hmm. Depends on what direction. We, I mean, we've already talked about Houdini. We might as well go into Houdini some more. Yeah. So uh, that was the, the, the thing. And, and this is Houdini had risen to fame during uh, the decade previous. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He was at the height of his fame yeah, when we hit the he, 1920s. He was the pinnacle, which I mean, it was short run. He died in 1926. Yep. Um, but Houdini again like he set out with the the mind to speak to his mom uh he had an unhealthy connection with his mom uh and it was just extremely codependent and so when she died he took it really really hard and he set out to to speak to her and have her still in his life and as he's going along um he had they had worked out a code. And actually, that's him, that's him and his wife. No, that, that's yeah. also. That's yeah. Oh, where the I idea didn't know about his from. mom. Yeah. Okay, cool. And he, that's how he wanted to know. And that's what he did with his wife as well, was they had worked out a specific phrase. Yeah, yeah, that phrase he and would handshake. Say. Yeah. And uh, which is kind of fascinating that he was like, no, we're going to prove it after I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to work to get back here. But if not, take these people down. And it's like his life's work yeah. beyond his performances. And then this starts uh, a bitter rivalry between him and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Because Arthur Conan Doyle initially was a big time believer. Yeah, he, he actually um, believed all the way through his, his life. Uh, and it wasn't until right up at the end that he admitted some skepticism. Yeah. Um, and what's really tragic about this story is that um, Houdini um, and Howard Thurston, uh, who were um, both like the pinnacle magicians of their time. In fact, Thurston yeah. was considered a better illusionist than Houdini. Yeah, and, Houdini was an escape artist. Yeah, and, yeah. and Houdini was considered better at, at all of the physical tricks. Yeah. Um, and so they were great friends. Uh, Thurston was very pro-ghost and, and pro-spiritualism. And uh, I'm not sure if 
Thurston met, I, I believe that Thurston met Arthur Conan Doyle first yeah. and introduced Houdini to him. And the three of them uh, really got along really well, even though Houdini right. at this point was quite the skeptic. Um, <coughs> and uh, so Thurston and Houdini actually had competing uh, playbills about do, do spirits really come back? And Houdini said, no, and I'll prove it. And Thurston, uh, you know, claimed that spirits guided his illusions. His illusions. He was, and Which Thurston, it helped sell his. It did. Oh, yeah. It did. Thurston really is, a, should be as famous, if not more famous than Houdini, because he was the Chris Angel of his time without being a jerk. Um, he did. Uh, his, if you're going to start throwing lizard people names around. <laughs> well, so he he's uh, he's one of the magicians that. Uh, he did the levitating lady trick without the blankets or yeah. covers. He did all of his stuff yeah, um, out in the open, out in the open. There there were with the exception of the the box tricks for cutting people in half and stuff, which the box was kind of integral to that trick. Everything else he did without any any covering props Ooh. um so this was like a huge deal at he, this point he's one of the guys that not the illusionist but the other one the prestige was like loosely based on that rivalry okay yeah between between him and houdini obviously way fictionalized but like they were friends, but they were also rivals. Yes, yeah, and and so that's that kind of twist there. Yeah, and that they did use that rivalry to help build on, uh, build their fame further up because yeah. they would do competing tricks and things like that, um, and, and they would mention each other quite a bit. And they would also follow each other on tours. Yes, so they you could catch one and then a week later catch the other. One thing that I adore about the 1920s so much is it is it really started what we know to be modern entertainment yeah. as far as like cinema and like the event of going to something purely to entertain you obviously that wasn't new for the 1920s but it totally changed one thing that i that you read about a lot as far as the 1920s are concerned are freak shows yeah, yeah. and I mean, the the more you read into those, the sadder they get. But what are you going to do? It's fine. It's, yeah, yeah. I'm not an animal. I'm a human being and all that. Wow, those crazy uh, <laughs> bones. But one of the fun things that that came out of this rivalry was that Thurston and Houdini had a bet that whoever died first had to come back and haunt the other one. <gasps> um, and so it was at this point uh, that he made he made the. Um, secret code and handshake with his wife, Bess, Houdini did. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, if I come back, I will come to you first. Yeah. And then he made her make the same, uh, because again, he's still holding out some vague hope that maybe yeah. this exists. So Beth agreed, Bess agreed to do the same thing. Um, of course, Houdini dies first. She holds ten uh, a seance every year for 10 years. God. They still hold the to honor the, this bet. They still hold the Houdini sands. Yeah, yeah. Beth, uh, she gave up after ten years. Yeah. saying, you know that was enough time, pretty much wasted on it because every every uh, seance, of course, contacted Houdini, but none of them knew the the code or the handshake. Right, but it's become it's become a tradition in the magic community. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Houdini seance. Yeah, and that's all based on this bet that. That the two of them had, which I thought was always kind of cool. Which I which I really love because his his skepticism permeates a wing of the magic community 
and I don't mean the card game, but I mean, like <laughs> it, it permeates this to this day. There are disciples of Houdini in the way that they value rational thought and explanation above everything else while still being liars. Yeah. And, uh, that, and I'm, I'm, I'm co-opting that directly from Penn and Teller. They, yeah. they, they're diehard disciples, but they, they're like, we lie for a living. We yeah. lie, but we're honest about it. Right, right. Like, you know that this is not real. Like, but it's still, if I can get you to buy into it. Yeah. Still fascinating. And that's cool. But at the same time, they have used that same thing to carry on that tradition of debunking and not buying into people being hoodwinked and taking taking advantage of. And and that that to me is is a legacy that's worthwhile. And so and so like when Houdini started all this and really went after these people, he was doing a great service. Oh yeah. Because these people were out there just bilking the bereaved. Because there was nobody of high standing that was saying these people are lying to you yeah. and stealing from you. Yeah. yeah. And so it's it's just fascinating to me that it's like it's not quite the thing that it was 15, 20 years ago when uh Numbnuts with the blue polo had his show. What's his name? Popoff? No, the other guy. Uh, but yeah, same thing. Uh Popoff David Copperfield? No, 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 no. no. The, the mediums. All the, oh, oh, uh, John Edwards. Yes, that's oh who I'm God. talking about. Not a douche. This schmuck. But, but these people, like, the, it's weird to me that there was, like, these legacies of bilking like that have moved, have gone on, and people still buy into it, but they're not buying into it as readily but it took a hundred years yeah. to get to that. Well, and, yeah. and one thing, one thing Houdini liked to point out was that, um, in reality, the the most um, popular, the most quote unquote effective mediums uh, were all using magicians' tricks. Oh, yeah. So things appearing, things moving, things levitating. Um, there, there were entire catalogs uh, dedicated to medium and spiritualism. Uh, in you know that were that were effectively secret catalogs, just like the secret uh, magicians' catalogs. Yeah. So it, he he knew what half these tricks were. Yeah. I mean, it, and could spot them a mile away. Of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, shared. It, it's debated whether or not Thurston shared several of his secrets uh, with with Houdini or not, but it it's fairly widely believed that they at least talked about the mechanics behind them mm -hmm. and Houdini would use that, that knowledge to go and debunk people, especially if they were, uh, you know, Oh look, so, you know, stuff falling from the ceiling, you know, you know somebody, something floating through here, there, there's the lamp, there it goes. <laughs> well, the like, thing he knew is, how to do all of this is we're also on the cusp of, of the, in the twenties, we're on the cusp of the rise of science. Yeah. Yeah. And so people still didn't have explanations, but at the same time, you had faith healers and psychics and mediums and stuff going to people and saying, I don't use all of that voodoo nonsense. I'm a man of science. I am here to scientifically prove to oh, you yeah. that I can talk to your dead mom. Yeah. yeah. And and there were there were several um pseudoscience uh 
kind of like the uh, the uh, those EMF readers that we use now. Yeah. But there were there were several uh, patents and creations that happened during this time period that um, read electromagnetic impulses and things like that stuff that has continued on today and been refined um, that could of course still be used to prove something that didn't exist. But yeah. it, it was all in the hand of the operator. Yeah. So science sort of co-legitimized spiritualism to a certain extent at this point, mostly because people didn't understand how these meters and stuff work. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's exactly my point is you have, you're on the cusp of science mm-hmm. becoming something that is in uh, the hands of the proletariat. Yeah. When before it was not. And so anybody who had something, obviously you have this, therefore you must be smart. Yeah. You must know what that does when really it's just a dial that moves a peg. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, look, it's colder now. Ghosts. Yeah, it's it's whatever Zach Baggins or whatever his name is. Like, uh, <laughs> did you hear that? Yeah. Oh, it got cold. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you're running through all this stuff and and but it the knowledge hadn't taken that giant leap forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, Basically, like, nobody knew how these things worked. Yeah. Therefore, they seem mysterious, but also very legitimate. And, and we, this isn't unheard of. We were just talking about Zach Baggins, the ghost adventure guys. They straight up, in earlier seasons, they straight up lie mm-hmm. and say, we have a special camera that cancels out dust and bugs. Right. So if you see any floating objects or anything, it's definitely a ghost. ghost. And it's like, that, no, that's dust and bugs. That yeah. doesn't exist. <laughs> sir yeah but i mean getting to that point of skepticism like i a healthy skepticism right yeah right you know what i mean and that's it i'm not saying everybody was a fool and just bought into it but it was far more prevalent yeah to to be susceptible to superstition and belief and and be frightened of of these things and all of these people just took advantage of it and man this episode just kind of took a different turn than i expected <laughs> it to no i'll talk about houdini all day yeah, yeah but... well speaking of of taking advantage of people using science <gasps> um spirit <laughs> photography was no, a not... huge thing starting yeah. starting in the like oh, 1905 yeah. um was was when um so and here's the sad part, just like just like Houdini and several of these things, it started out with somebody who really had hope mm-hmm. uh, about the existence of ghosts and life after death. Um, and William Hope was uh, a photographer. And when he took in 1905, when he was taking pictures of his friend, um, some of the plates had what looked to be like a ghost in them. And so he spends the next, you know, 20 years pulling together a crew of photographers to attempt to find, you know, find out more of this stuff. He, he becomes so popular that he starts um, using uh, set plates that already have images on them to do double exposures um, to produce ghost photos for people who are paying him money because he has so many people coming to him yeah. hoping that, um, they they can they can get a picture of themselves and see that their dead loved one is still around them. So this is wildly not an eradicated problem, but this really was the golden age of taking advantage of dumb people in charlatan as yeah. far as like spiritualism. Yeah. But, but literally we're talking about the birth of Photoshop. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or those, you know, terrible um student like 
school photos that you get where you get a full picture of you oh and then there's gosh. your half they half faced on the like up above. Looking, looking looking the other way lo- yeah next to a neon and that's laser legitimately beam. what they look like <laughs> yeah. um it's they by any rational means when you look at them you have you you can tell that there's obviously uh, an image imposed over another they with the exception of his early photos which all just show streaks and lights and balls and mm-hmm. things like that um all of the rest of them have super defined features and but they didn't know that in the 20s joy they all were waxing now, their mustaches now, and dying of dysentery is, what do you want is he the one who took the like would go to like the funerals and take a photo of the body first and then use that same cell again and take a picture of the family that later. Was a so, uh, is yeah, that a different guy? Because I know that was a thing. Yeah, that was, I think, uh, another member of his crew. Um, but he he frequently would ask for a, a photo of the individual oh. that, that they were attempting to contact. And he would uh, he would ask. He didn't ask ahead of time. He would just ask them to bring it with them. And um, bring it, and that they would have it in the room to attempt to uh, draw the individual there. Okay. Um, and so one of the theories is that he would he would take the photo and go and go off to another area and take a photo of it, and then develop that plate. Okay. And then, yeah. And then yeah. mount the two in his camera. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was uh, later debunked. Um, Why did you ask us to bring this body? No reason. No reason. It's fine. I need it for science. <laughs> um, but he was hugely popular by the 1920s. And in 1922, he was actually debunked. Um, the gentleman who debunked him was, uh, oh gosh, what was his name? Anyway, uh, Harry Price. He was uh, part of the- How Brit- Harry what? Sorry. Yeah. He was part no. of the British College uh, of Psychic Science, which was le- a legitimate thing. Like- I want a degree from the College of Psychic Science. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but Harry Price, much like Houdini, uh, he was from England. He wandered around uh, England effectively like debunking yeah. people, um, at, at sometimes for the government. And oh, uh, I want that job. Right? <laughs> um, so that's just Scully. He, yes, he actually, <laughs> he actually like, uh, so he invited Price uh, uh I think to his home to do some of the photography. And um, he actually, when price walked out of the room, he swapped out a bunch of prices, uh, photography plates with some ones that had watermarks on them. Uh, And then, and then when, um, when hope came back and, and, uh, told Price that, that uh, you know, they were ready, basically, because he did kind of like a, a mini seance sort of thing to draw the spirits in. Um, and then uh, he had, uh, he had Price leave briefly um, so that they, that they could uh, finish setting up the, setting up the camera. And uh, so when Price came back, they, they, they took all the photos and stuff and none of the plates showed that watermark because he had, <coughs> he had replaced the plates that were, that were there for people to, you know, to look at and see with prepared plates. Yeah. Um, but this brings us right back to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, when, when Price uh, published, published this, uh, this information, Doyle came after him like very hard. Um, he actually convinced uh, something like 80 people to, uh, to, to leave that organization because oh, wow. it was obviously not, uh, they, they weren't there to, to find out the truth. They were there to ruin people. Um, and he was, uh, he actually 
pretty much dogged Price for the rest of his life, and uh, along with his little cir- you know, Doyle circle of followers. And he actually wrote a book um, supporting Hope's work uh, and 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 published it. That, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's there are a lot of really famous people, you know, caught up in this mania. Oh, huh. yeah. Big time. That's a movie. Right. You know what I think Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was? What? <gasps> Step the reptilian report, everybody. The segment of the show where I out a lizard person and tell you why they're a lizard person. And I know I just said Arthur Conan Doyle, but no, we're not going to be talking about him. We're on a bit of a Star Wars kick. And you know who we're going to be talking about today? The lizardy man himself. Mr. George Lucas. Are you serious? Are you serious right now? Plead your case. Okay. Okay. So I have quite a few. So I have a few different pieces of evidence. First of all, his he loves Jar Jar Banks. Yeah. That's <laughs> what? All right. All right. Yeah. All right. right? Are you, are you right. serious? No, no. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> This is not a political podcast in any stretch of the imagination, but in the year 2013, the former president, Mr. Barack Obama, decided that he was going to give a large amount of entertainers a medal. All of these people are lizard people consistently every time I've done the research. You know who was one of the first people to receive this specific medal given to by President Barack Obama in 2013, Mr. George Lucas. We already know who you're talking about. That was a weird way to do that. Same. <laughs> Early in his career, Lucas got into business with Francis Ford Coppola, obvious lizard person. All right. All right. And the real evidence, the real George Lucas wanted to be a race car driver and join the military. All of these things. He had all of these plans of what he was going to do with his life until he reached high school. And all of these things seem to reach a pinnacle point And take a very serious turn whenever he was a victim of a horrible car accident and left him hospitalized with several broken ribs and two collapsed lungs. Spoilers. He dies and get, and his skin is peeled off like an orange peel and turned into a skin suit. See, I could, I could believe that if, if we say that he was replaced right before he did the prequels one, two and three, Really? Definitely really bad lizard person amalgamation. Amalgamation. Of what Star Wars was. Yeah, yeah, cuz I mean, I you know, from a new hope on, he's I, I think he was probably still human at that point and then got replaced and they're like, "Oh god, now we have to make some more movies." Uh See, I might think that you were correct except for a very uh important conversation that Corey and I had the other day where he was regaling me with the tale of a conversation between George Lucas and Carrie Fisher where she says, George, my dress is far too see-through. And he looks her little 19-year-old self in the face and says, there's no underwear in space. Now, the layman would think that this was an attempt to be a pervy old man. But no, he knows because he's (laughs) from there. So uh, I think you're missing the greatest piece of evidence that would solidify your your argument here. And what is that? THX 1138. Okay. Oh yeah. That that movie is not made by a person. <laughs> that <laughs> nope, that I 
I wanted to argue about this, but then a THX popped into my head and I'm like, that's the most lizard person movie I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. He hires almost exclusively lizard people. And then followed by the Star Wars Christmas special. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Human and, holiday, winter and, time. Yes, yes. Exactly what it is. Yes. Uh, and into in which he brings in other notable uh, lizard people of the era, yeah. such as B. Arthur. Yep. And and <laughs> I love her, but lizard all the way. <laughs> you okay over there, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> you, just, you just are happy anytime I bring up B. Arthur, aren't you? Me too. <laughs> so there's really no other explanation for her to be there or anything. She is my everything, Corey. Oh, I know. <laughs> but I mean, other than anything that happens in that thing, which includes like 10 minute psychedelic disco dance party mm -hmm. in the middle of it. Yeah. Which is obviously an indoctrination video. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm in your camp. Yeah. I, I didn't want to be, but man. Told you. I, and he's got that that froggy goiter. Yeah. It's, uh, well, it's a frog pouch. Neck thing. What did you write there? Nothing. <laughs> just did a little doodle of Lucas. Oh, okay. <laughs> With the frog pouch? With the frog. Yeah. So we Do always kind of just wait for him to go, hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. <laughs> a little bit. You know. He just looks like he. <laughs> Yeah. Makes that noise yeah. a lot. He's, I think, uh, I think yeah, for those familiar with Phantom Menace, uh, Boss Nass of the Gungans is yeah. just George Lucas. Yeah. <gasps> Without makeup on. Without that was makeup his cameo. On. Yeah. This is Stan Lee cameo. Your favorite thing in the world is created by a lizard. How do you feel? Just fine. Cool. And dandy. <laughs> you got some news for me? I do. I'm going to start off with my favorite story because it has a really weird title. This uh, psychic medium in England, whose name is Baba Venga. Ooh. Oh, Hannah. She claims to be an Asperamancer. What's that? Someone who uses asparagus to tell the future. Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's a plant witch. But, but she uses the asparagus. term. Uh, specifically asparagus. And she specifically uses the term asparamancer. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, man, everybody's got their medium, okay? Her predictions for 2020. Brexit will continue and actually go smoothly. Okay. Yeah. Trump will be elected, re-elected in November. Mm -hmm. He will be impeached for a separate set of crimes and then removed from office. Uh, she also believes that a famous person of extreme notoriety will retire from public life. <laughs> That's what she said. Okay. Wow. okay. Uh, I think on a day it will rain. Yes. <laughs> Somewhere. Yeah. Uh, she's absolute trash, but man, what an awesome name. She but, but can she make a good hollandaise sauce to go with the asparagus? <gasps> Uh, I think I no. think that would either she that's either her favorite thing or it would deeply offend her if you suggested it. <laughs> what if she? Never mind. You, you can't be you can't be a decent asparamancer unless yes. you can make a good hollandaise hollandaise sauce. That's, I that's agree. My view. I agree. Um, at least a bechamel. I mean something. Something. Video circulating online shows a cow in Uganda that comes running out of the bushes with three massive horns. <gasps> wow. Yeah, one growing straight out of its skull. Like, Aww. Oh my god! No, yeah. this these horns are like over ten feet long, though, and one's uh, just that's going not straight 10 feet, up. But it's pretty insane. I'm very small. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, those those are pretty epic. That's uh-huh. great. One's just going straight up. He looks like a Pokemon. Um, in Russia, this story comes from Russia. Okay. Uh, there is a a couple of things happening. One, first, oh, we'll we'll detour from Russia and go to the Ukraine. Uh, a guy dressed up as Pennywise is just running around the Ukraine, <laughs> scaring everybody. Aww. Stop it! You knock it off. That's how you get beat up. Oh, wait, oh no, you're he's in the, get, you're in he, the Ukraine. He's yeah. gonna get shot. Oh yeah. no, you'll die. Uh, again in Russia, because uh, there's not enough scary stuff in the Ukraine. Yeah, from right? two separate instances: one from Russia, one from Oregon. Bigfoot caught on traffic cameras recently. Oh, really? running across the touring. highways, yeah, jaywalking. So we've got a little bit of that going on, which is pretty phenomenal. That's fun. And this, the, the one I wanted to talk about is uh, a display case covering a meteorite in a Russian museum, like rose up off of the meteorite in full view of an open museum. Like a bunch of people saw it. It was caught on three different cameras. What? Yeah. It just floats up. Chris Angel was nowhere to be seen. No, uh, it's it's they they can't explain what happened. This heavy glass dome covering the meteorite just levitates on its own. ET wants his rock back. Yeah, so kill it. Yeah. Set it on fire. Uh, other yeah. than that, like news wise, everybody is shut up and starts doing their you know new best of 2019 yeah. and so there like we're lazy little, little light on the news this week. we're yeah. trying we're trying and we also don't have death days today so i, I mean I sorry look up some death do days. you want who died who let's died find out we're lost without you hannah yeah we are yeah for real let's see what we got here on this day in history that not much man not <laughs> everybody much. was way too busy to be dying today yeah apparently like we just focus on everybody who was born yeah, like, uh, really. Horrible. It's the new year. Let's let's not. Yeah, focus we leave on dead all people. the dead stuff to Hannah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's this is why. Yeah, because she's Bid McPhee, American Baseball Hall of Fame second baseman for the Cincinnati Reds, died in 1943. And that. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> no, that's not what I meant. But okay, I was just looking for somebody, somebody that we would notice. Nope. Sorry, dead people. We yeah. failed you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just cut all of this out. No, nope, this is all staying in. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, we're going to entertain people with nonsense. Oh, God. Conrad Hilton died on this day in 1979. Who's, who the of, hell of, is of the Conrad Hilton? Hilton? Fortune? Yeah, it started the, the Hilton Hotel yeah. change. Oh, okay. Yeah. Paris's guy. grandfather. I don't care about that woman. No, I know you don't, but it's a, it's a real thing. I really enjoyed watching her get murdered in House of Wax. I would not even give my money to that for that exact it's reason. A, it's not a terrible movie. You've shown me way worse movies. Oh, I believe that, but I won't support anything that she does. <laughs> she didn't get paid very much, I don't think. I Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> well, you get what you pay for, This right? was like height of Paris Hilton. How much does she... Well, we're searching random stupid crap. Koo Chid Fu, Chinese negotiator, died in 2005. Oh I just God. wanted to say his name. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Skate, Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea, 2006. Dun, this feels like Thanksgiving dun, dinner. Dun, 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 right? Dun. Everybody just staring at Everybody's their on their phone and we're talking about dead people. Screw it. Let's wrap the show up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> for I think that about us. wraps it up, gentlemen and ladies. And thank you, listeners. Join us next week when we give three broiled chicken breast consciousness and then abandon the responsibility we've given ourselves next week. Woo! <laughs>
on the Underground Files. You've been listening to AU Radio Underground Files. Music is provided by Cubby, PurplePlanet.com, and Bensound.com. Views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Adventures Underground. AU Radio Podcast is a production of Adventures Underground Copyright 2018 All Rights Reserved. If you'd like to contact the show, follow us on Twitter at AU underscore radio, Facebook at AU Radio Podcast, Instagram at AU dot radio, or you can email the show at podcast at advunderground.com. You can also support this show and all the shows on AU Radio by becoming a patron of the AU Radio Network. Find us on Patreon as AU Radio at Adventures Underground. You can help us create this podcast and soon several others with as little as a dollar a month. Thanks for listening.